0: So this is a Dhamma talk that was given around the occasion of uh, Songkran, the Thai New Year. So we see that uh, one year, one day, they go by quickly. So our life has passed by uh, one more year. We see that we've made it safely all the way to this new year, and we're happy. We celebrate the new year, the Songkran. We have loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, We celebrate that we're, that we are alive uh, to this point. We see that these lives of ours are something that is uncertain. We can compare it to having uh, four mountains, four very large and tall mountains approaching uh, from each direction, from the north, from the south, from the east, and from the west. And these four mountains are destroying and crushing everything in their path and they're coming uh, towards our location, and they're unstoppable. They can't be stopped by any force. So we get the news that these four mountains are coming, and that they're close to arriving at our location. So we can ask ourselves, how would we feel upon receiving this news that these mountains are coming, and they're close to arriving? And this is because uh, death is close to us at all times. So we feel a sense of self, and we feel clinging, And we feel the sense of self is associated with having wealth, having prosperity, having praise, having gain, having pleasure, and one may have, feel like one has everything, or one has, uh, everything one wishes for, has, uh, friends and loved ones, uh, everything that's desirable. And then one would, uh, and these are the loka dhammas, the worldly dhammas of the positive, of the positive end. And yet, even if one has all these, uh, worldly dhammas of the positive type, all the praise, all the pleasure, all the gain, all the, uh, all the fame, then, would we still feel like we're attached to these things? Would we still be pleased and like these things knowing that we're about to die? And, uh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, uh, care so much for these things. We can look at the example of, uh, King Ahsoka was a great, uh, monarch who, uh, had great faith in the Buddhist dispensation. And he had a, a younger brother who did not have faith in the Buddha Sasana, the Buddha's dispensation. And for King Ahsoka, he was one who had a high level of faith and did a lot of generous acts supporting uh, Buddhism. And yet his brother still had no faith. So King Ahsoka endeavored to, to show his brother that uh, death is something that's very close by. And even having such great uh, wealth and and so on, like given that one's close to death, does one still have an affinity, does still have a liking and attachment for these things? And his brother answered, no, I no longer uh, want these things, or like these things. So even having everything, one doesn't uh, care for these things anymore because one sees that one must die. So in this Dhamma practice, we practice Marananu nusati, the recollection of death. And we can see clearly in the mind, we can have a clear nimitar, mental image, mental sign that death must come. And it's, it's the same for all beings in the end, that we all must die, and that we're close to death. And we see that this body is something that's not beautiful, it has no beauty to it. It's just a a bunch of uh, organs and body parts wrapped around with skin. So seeing this, we feel very weary, very weary of the things of this world and don't have a liking or attachment to these things. So when we're born, then we're, we're born into this situation. And so for Dhamma practitioners, we practice to see clearly um, that this is the way things are. And we practice to have the knowledge of insight arise. That this body, something that arises and passes away. That all sankaras, all conditioned formations arise and pass away. They're constantly passing away and passing away. So we practice to see this clearly to see the drawbacks in the never-ending cycle of samsara, of birth and death. So having been born, then even if one has everything, has all the things one may wish for, in the end, all of this uh, must be separated from oneself. And we can see that this is something that's a very scary or a great danger, something fearful. And of all the fearful things in the world, then there's no greater uh, danger, no greater fear than the old age sickness and death because all individuals must meet with old age sickness and death in the end. So, we can ask, how should we prepare for this? We we see that this is the situation and so we feel weary. We seek a way out. We try to find a way out of the situation and this way out is the practice of Dhamma the practice of virtue, collectedness, and wisdom. We don't want suffering. We don't want dukkha. And yet we're constantly laying the causes uh, for suffering to arise, for dukkha to arise. And therefore, this dukkha arises constantly because dukkha arises from causes. So when we cultivate clinging and attachment, then dukkha is the inevitable result. And the Buddha has awakened already. And the the awakening of a fully awakened Buddha, this is something that's very difficult to have happen. So we can think for ourselves, this knower, this knowing element, awakening in the heart, when will this arise? We've met with the Dhamma of the Buddha already, and this is a very good fortune and a great value in our lives. We see that one whole year has passed and that we're still alive at this point, and therefore this is a very good opportunity for us. Our bodies are still strong and still able to sit and walk. And this is a, a great merit uh, for ourselves. So we seek to train our minds to become better, to become better than last year. We see uh, the untrained mind will have greed, aversion, and delusion in the past year. And then without practice, then in this year, there's no improvement. There's just greed, aversion, and delusion all the same. The days pass by and there's no change in the heart and all the material things in this world, we can't take any of them with us when we die. But this greed, aversion and delusion uh, goes with our heart wherever we go. Therefore, we should be heedful in our lives, especially we having these strong bodies that are able to do sitting and walking. Uh, we shouldn't be heedless. We can see that heedlessness is the our heedfulness is the path to the deathless, and the heedless are as if dead already and those that are heedless they still have breath coming in and out, but they are dead to goodness, they are dead to wholesomeness. This is uh Cha compared this to a dead person. The person who is heedless is as if dead already, because their life has no value, no use. And if one is heedful, then one does merit, does goodness, and develops the mind to improve. And then we practice to see a convention, Samuti, according to truth. Uh, This evening, I was talking with a monk from England. And in England, they had, uh, or someone offered some very beautiful flowers as a homage uh, to their triple gem. And they put these flowers, in a a spittoon as a a container for those flowers. And so we can see this is just a convention because in England, they they were not perceiving the spittoon as a spittoon. It was just a a beautiful container to put the flowers in. But if one has a different view, then one would see this as something improper, something that shouldn't be done. But there in England, they, they saw it as something that was very beautiful and attractive So we can see that it's just a convention. So seek to try to understand this. One may study many subjects in the world, such as uh, medicine, accounting, uh, business, uh, various sciences, and so on. And these are all types of knowledge that help us make a livelihood in the world, to give us the ability to make a right, right livelihood, to take care of our body and mind, our five khandhas, uh, to be able to live in this world. But the knowledge, the subject that's important is the study of the, the Buddha Dhamma to study what the Buddha awakened to and to build this knowing. So knowing all these various subjects can give us a livelihood. But if we don't study the Buddha subject, the Buddha Dhamma, then dukkha stress arises constantly. As a child, one has the suffering of a child. As a teenager, one has the suffering of a teenager. Whether one's a male or a female, one has the suffering of a male or a female, and so on. This is because the heart has not studied the... The subject of the Buddhist teachings. So we study the subjects of the subject of the Buddha Dhamma, and we see that we cling. and what do we cling to? One of the primary or fundamental objects that the mind clings to is this body. So therefore we should contemplate the body, uh, the inner body and the outer body. The outer body refers to the bodies of other humans and animals, other beings that one has a liking for or a disliking for. And the inner body refers to this body that's uh, sitting right here that we have. So, we can ask, what is this body made of? What is, what is this body? So, we contemplate right there and we seek to know this according to the truth of the way things are. We try to see this uh, clearly. Seeing with delusion, one sees that this body is a me, it's a mine, it's a self. And seeing in this way, we call Sakaya Diddy the self-view. And this Seeing things according to self is a cause for suffering to arise. However, we see with wisdom, we see that it's not a self, not a me or a mine. This is wisdom arising. And with this, then, stress and suffering do not arise. So we have the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, the mind, and their uh, respective sense objects. uh, Visual forms, uh, smells, taste, uh, touch, sounds, and mind objects. And the mind gets these sense objects that comes uh, to contact the mind. And if a human had more than six senses, then we'd have more sense objects contacting the mind. But the way it is, is that the humans have uh, these six senses. Then based on these six senses, there's the six types of sense consciousness of uh, Vinyana that arise. And the mind clings to all of this as a self in the present moment. So we practice the Dhamma to train the mind to know in the present, and this is called uh, the present moment Dhamma. A teaching of Lung Pu Cha um, is related to this, is about the sourness of a lemon. He would ask, if the tongue doesn't touch the lemon, then is it sour? Is the sourness in the lemon? And then if the lemon does touch the tongue, then the feeling arises. So we should contemplate this. We see that kilesa defilement and obstruction arises in the present So we cultivate this knowing in the present as well. We practice mindfulness. We come to the monastery and we we seek to cultivate mindfulness to practice the Dhamma. But we can't be in the monastery at all times. So we try to practice whether we're in our house or at work, whether with our family or with our co-workers, meeting with all the various moods and sense impressions we practice dhamma in our house and workplace as well. For instance, someone with a who's very hot-tempered, who gives rise to anger and disliking easily. With dhamma practice, then this anger and aversion uh, can gradually decrease and they can become one with a mind imbued with loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, the four brahma-viharas that take care of the mind. So one has uh, sila, virtue, taking care of one's body and speech and one's meditation object and mindfulness taking care of the heart and we continue to practice to see the value of this dhamma practice. Because this Dhamma practice is something of incredible value that gives real fruit, gives real benefit. So we practice to bring the mind to peace and stillness, to give rise to wisdom, which will thereby decrease stress and suffering. Then we see for ourselves the value of the Buddha as teaching. And then effort increases, faith increases in Dhamma practice. So in the beginning, we have faith in the practices of giving, of doing merit. And we have this faith. And then we see that the practice of virtue is an even greater merit, even greater goodness than that of giving. And if this virtue brings one's body and speech to be peaceful and restrained within the bounds of virtue. And this is more meritorious than uh, acts of giving. And even higher than virtue, uh, even higher merit is that the merit of mental cultivation of bhavana So, this, these are the merits of giving of virtue and of bhavana And one can ask, how is mental cultivation uh, meritorious? Well, we can see that that we do giving and the mind having sacrifice and relinquishment in this way, greed uh, decreases, aversion decreases, delusion decreases to a certain degree. And then, however, if one still isn't isn't established in virtue, then one's body and speech may still be no good. And this gives rise to suffering. And then we practice to control our body and speech. And this gives rise to great benefit. One's body and speech becomes uh, peaceful and restrained. However, even at this point, with one having sila, one sees that the mind is still not peaceful and collected. One still has painful, negative, and unskillful thoughts of many types, like thoughts of covetousness, thoughts of greed, thoughts of anger, thoughts of hatred and aversion, uh, sleepiness, uh, restlessness, and so on. So then one seeks to train the mind because even with a body and speech that's peaceful, the mind uh, can still be not peaceful. So, one trains the mind to bring about happiness because one sees that the teaching of the Buddha, that a well-trained mind uh, brings happiness and the mind that's not trained uh, just chases after whatever it likes or dislikes, just like a child running after what it wants or running away from what it doesn't want. And this is like the mind that's on fire. The mind contacts a sense of object, and this gives rise to clinging, whether uh, a body object, a mind object, a nose object, ear object a tongue object or eye object, the mind clings to all of this, uh, sees all of it as a self, as uh, beautiful, as attractive, as permanent, as uh, bringing happiness and as a self. This is the mind that's lost, the mind that has wrong view. So the Buddha taught to study the Buddha subject, the Buddha's teaching, to give rise to more knowing than before, to change the mind that from not knowing convention, not knowing what convention is, to the mind. That knows that everything is just a convention. That in reality, all phenomena are impermanent, stressful, and not self. That in truth, uh, there's really no me, no mind, no I to be found. So, seeing that the self is not self, this is seeing the true self. And the mind that's lost in the self, this is the cause for suffering to arise. So, for ourselves uh, as Buddhists, we see that the Buddha's teaching is still here. So we seek to study it, to practice it, to see uh the self as not self to see the body is ever-changing stressful something that must degrade something that's not beautiful so we can ask why do we think that the body is good why do we see it as something good it must grow old it must sicken it must die even uh every strong body all the bodies in the world that are strong they all must also get sick and must die even beings that have uh, praise, have gain, have fame, have pleasure, must come into contact with with pain, with uh, dispraise, with uh, disrepute, and with loss as well. The four positive worldly winds compared with the four uh, painful or negative worldly winds in this way. So we see that uh, death comes to all beings. And seeing this clearly is a benefit of Dhamma practice, just like the brother of King Asoka who saw this clearly, because the elder brother, king, who was King Asoka, he couldn't ordain due to his duties uh, he needed to fulfill as the king. However, the brother, seeing that in the face of death, these... Uh, worldly pleasures have no value. He sought out ordination and after ordination he realized arahantship, full enlightenment. He saw that this life is close to death and you can't bring anything with you when you die. Just like these four uh, tall unstoppable mountains approaching from each direction, we see that there's little time left. And so we can ask, well, given that this is the case, what should I do? So contemplate this. One can consider, contemplate that one's life has just one hour left or just one day left or half a day left or six hours left. And contemplating in this way, one can ask, well, given uh, given this, what should I do? Well, the answer is to be heedful, to do goodness, to do skillfulness, to practice virtue, giving mental cultivation, to bring the mind to peace and collectedness, to discard all the chaos and busyness of the mind all the chaos and busyness of the world, just to, to throw it out. So, in this new year, in this sankran time, uh, may you be heedful in this. So, we see in this year, we have faith, we have the intention, the firm intention to bring our minds to goodness, to do goodness. Many of us have come from very far away to the monastery. And so, this means that we are individuals with heedfulness. We have the firm intention to practice goodness, to make merit through giving, through virtue, and also, listening to Dhamma and then contemplating in line with that Dhamma to give rise to knowing. And one can ask uh, this Nibbana, is it something stable and lasting? Some individuals may doubt about this, whether it's stable or unstable, because we've heard the teaching that all Dhammas are unstable and impermanent. So, why is it that Nibbana is stable and lasting we see that this nibbana, its coolness, whatever to whatever degree, greed, aversion, and delusion decrease. To this degree, coolness uh, arises. So, when greed, aversion, and delusion decrease and are extinguished to the point where they don't arise again, this is giving rise to nibbana. Uh, therefore, our minds um, have nibbana to some degree even in this moment, because we're sitting here and greed, aversion, and delusion are decreased. The mind is open and at ease. So we can call this a temporary Nibbana. While listening to the Dhamma, we can contemplate, see clearly, and this is seeing Nibbana. And the mind needs mindfulness, collectedness, and wisdom in order to contemplate the truth, to contemplate death. So may you be heedful and see uh, this nature of impermanence, stress, and not-self. If we see that everything is, is all good and pleasurable, then we're stuck in that goodness. If we see everything is bad and painful, then we get stuck in that badness and painfulness. So try to practice according to the middle way. Wherever you go, you see that materiality and mentality is all ever-changing, stressful, and ownerless, and not-self. One sees all the objects of the six senses. When one, whatever one likes, one feels happy. Whatever one dislikes, this brings one unhappiness. This is not the So, practice to see everything as a convention, as samuti, as anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanent, stressful, and not self one sees uh, materiality and mentality, all the five aggregates, sees them clearly according to the truth. Seeing this clearly in the heart, one meets with the Dhamma. If one just sees uh, just the externals of things, uh, that just the external appearances of the world, this is a cause for suffering to arise. So, we train our minds to see the noble truths, to have mindfulness and wisdom established with regard to all things. So, May you all have uh, success in your practice. May you grow in goodness. May you have all types of prosperity and good fortune. May, may you and your family and your loved ones uh, be healthy, be safe, have prosperity, have uh, coolness, have wellness. May you grow in Dhamma. May you grow in blessings.